0: let's pray lord we thank you for we can gather around your word now and we pray that you'll lead us by your holy spirit to understand it believe it and apply it and give thanks for it in jesus name amen Now, the benediction, which I think is what it is that we've been using and will use through this month, is from Ephesians, in chapter 3. And it is remarkable, but we'll read from uh, chapter, from verse, sorry, uh, 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Well, it could be the whole family. It could be not families, you know, in a human sense, but the family of God. Either could be understood by that. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. (coughs) Now to him who is able... And these are the words we're looking at. Now to him who is able... To do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, before we look at that, I want to finish reading this Streams in the Desert extract. Uh, so, we've seen about how Christmas Evans was riding his horse and had great conviction of sin. Um, I think it was on a Sunday, I believe. it was, It's was a Sunday afternoon, that's right. And um, he had to tether his horse and go into the woods and pray for three hours. And God baptised him in the spirit in a new way. His whole ministry was transformed. And so was the whole principality of Wales. So, I mean, this is what happened. This is history. Um, now, the writer, um, I'm not quite sure where this comes from, It's a poem, not sure who it's by. Uh, Mrs. Cowman collected all these things together and put them in streams in the desert. But it continues like this. And don't forget this absolutely corresponds to what I was writing in my letter yesterday. I didn't see this, I didn't know this was here. I read this after I wrote my letter yesterday. The greatest question that can be asked of the twice-born, that's you looking if you're born again, which you are, is this. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now, those words were addressed to the disciples of John. And remember, he said, they said, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Ghost. Now, you can, that can be translated, we haven't heard whether the Holy Ghost has come. And I tend to favour that view, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute why I just wonder whether the old interpretation uh, you know, that uh, they didn't know there was a Holy Ghost might be correct. The Holy Ghost was the password into the early church. I'll, I'll tell you now why Why I say those things. Um, I have my father's copy of his streams in the desert. And what he wrote down there was Holy Ghost. (laughs) Now, I, this really struck me last night. I can't ever remember him preaching about the Holy Ghost. But it's much more likely that he did, but it went over my head. That's why he didn't write very much in this book, but to actually write it there um, is very significant. And that can be true for lots of us. We know the Father uh, as God and cares for us. We know our sins are forgiven, but knowing the Holy Spirit is, is kind of not something that's in our experience. It's true, I think, for most Christians, they go down that route, but they perhaps sometimes stop at Jesus. And they might put the Bible in as as their trinity. So they believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Well, we don't worship the Bible. The Bible is true because it's inspired by the Scriptures. But as you know, we believe here in revelation theology, which means what's in here has to be applied to us personally by the Holy Spirit. But even that is not the baptism. The baptism is empowerment. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father and you should be my witnesses. And through the history of the church, God has done that as he did in that incident with Christmas Eve. It's not there all the time. Let me tell you that. And we are waiting for that promise now. For, on us. On this town. In this nation. And this. there's a poem here. And it's all about that. This is a word to the twice-born. This is a word to Christians. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This was the password into the early church. And here's the poem. Oh, the spirit-filled life, is it thine? Is it thine? Is thy soul wholly filled with the spirit divine? O oh, thou child of a king, has he fallen? On thee? Does he reign in thy soul so that all men may see the dear Saviour's blessed image reflected in thee? Has he swept through thy soul like the waves of the sea? Does the Spirit of God daily rest upon thee? Does he sweeten thy life? Does he keep thee from error, from care? Does he guide thee and bless thee? In answer to prayer. Is it joy to be led of the Lord anywhere? Is he near thee each hour? Does he stand at thy side? Does he gird thee with strength? Does he come to abide? Does he give thee to know that all things may be done through the grace and the power of the crucified one? Does he witness to thee? Of the glorified Son. Has He purged thee of dross with the fire from above? Is He first in thy thoughts? Has He all of thy love? Is sacrifice sweet? Is the doing His will both the drink, thy drink and thy meat? Dost thou run at His bidding with glad, eager feet? Has He freed thee from self and from all of thy greed? Dost thou hasten to succor thy brother in need? As a soldier of Christ, dost thou hardness endure? Is thy hope in the Lord everlasting and sure? Hast thou patience and meekness are tender and pure? Oh, the spirit-filled life may be thine, may be thine. In thy soul evermore, the Shekinah may shine. It is thine to live The tempest with tempest all stilled, designed with the blessed Holy Ghost to be filled. Design even thine, for the Lord has so willed. And let me just commend that to you. And if you've never prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then I urge you to do that. It's not the same thing as being born again. This is a message to the twice born. But it does mean total humbling and total self-surrender. The power of God will come upon you in a way you've never experienced. Well, may not have experienced, I can't speak to Everyone in the same way, can I? And give you gifts that you would never have expected. And every time there's revival, whether it be personal, church or a nation, community or nation, that's what God does. In that sense, Pentecost is the pattern. Remember, to get there, though, they had to be cut to the heart. As you see in my letter, in order for a revival to come, God has to demolish everything human and build his own foundation and his own superstructure. Now, <laughs> the Holy Spirit does what the Father and the Son tell him to do. And we have in this text... This extraordinary statement um, are full of superlatives. Let me read it again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for ever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. But it's quite possible that was a a circular letter and went to other churches. And in one sense, it doesn't matter to which church it's addressed because it, it applies to every one of us. And to all generations, forever and ever, therefore, to you and to me. This is the word of God from the word from God to you and to me. And make sure we take it seriously. Now, it is an extraordinary text. It's, it's, I looked up in my dictionary, I'll do a good number of Greek dictionaries, but one on the New Testament. And it's, it's, it's the most superlative thing you could possibly imagine. It's, 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 Power beyond conception. It's superlative beyond conception. Um, I'll, I'll read a bit from a writer in a moment to, to help you see that. But what was key about it is what you have to get hold of is the meaning of this. He does able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Now, that's the conundrum. What does he mean by that? Because clearly, what he says in the first statement is conditioned by what he says in the second. In other words, if you want to experience this superabundance of uh, God being able to do anything, it is in accordance with the power that does work within us. So what does that mean? In other words, if there's not much going on in us, we don't have much conception of what God can do, will we? <laughs> and extra, is that, I was trying to, in this dictionary of the pages, on on the little uh, preposition that Paul uses here, "cata." I mean, we a lot of our English words have "cata" in them: catalog, catastrophe, and so on. Um, and and it was used widely. But what is what is it? And I thought I came to the view that what he was saying. Obviously, I prayed about it. I mean, it doesn't guarantee. I'm not was uh, saying that anything I say is guaranteed to be right. I want you to check it out. But it seems to me what he's saying is what he does, what he can do, is in line with what he has done in us. So if we've got a small view of what he's done in us, we will not really have a very big view of what he can do. See that? Now, some people actually make a point of this, and they think, well, this is therefore limits what God can do in the person, limited by what they've experienced. But I don't really think that's what that text is saying. I don't think it's saying that at all. I think what it is saying, though, is that we won't have the awareness of what God can do, or even far above that, if we're not aware of what he has done. You see, for a lot of people, becoming a Christian is going to church. Well, anyone can do that. Um, It's not difficult. Even pray. A lot of people do that. Um, Even be a church leader. But Paul isn't talking about things like that. He's talking about the power that is at work within us. Let's just review here for a minute why we're here this morning. If we are, are we truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Do we know he's taken our sins away? Do we know that he's destined us for glory? Do we know that he sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts, even though we need more? Now For some people, probably for all of us at some point, before we learned a bit more, this kind of was our decision. God had done his bit, as it were, in sending Jesus, but it was up to us to kind of make a response. And so God did his bit, and then we do our bit, and then we get saved. A lot of people preach that, in fact. And i certainly believed it. So let me tell you... um, I was baptized when I was 10, but it was really when I was in my middle teens that I felt great conviction of sin and and began, and that was when God called me to the ministry. But I had a lot of uncertainty, and I'll tell you why. If let's think of a, a little equation, A plus B equals C. Okay. Now, A is what God has done. So I thought, well, Jesus, God has sent his son to be my savior. Jesus has paid the price of my sin. Great. B, I thought of as my response to that. Now, I knew myself well enough, even at 15, to know that anything I did, I messed up. So it wasn't very good faith. It wasn't very strong repentance. uh, It was mixed up with all kinds of things in my mind. So instead of it being A plus B equals C, which is salvation, I had to make it B double minus, say, should we say. That was my bit. A plus B double minus does not equal C. It doesn't equal assured salvation. It means salvation, but with not much assurance. And that's where I was for quite a long time. I was writing songs, I've written a lot of songs, and uh, in fact, some of the songs reflect that. I was in a a gospel group, as you know. But it was when I was at university, at Cambridge, God changed me. I mentioned two baptisms in the spirit which I had when I was there in that letter. One was the gift of holy laughter, what they called later the Toronto blessing. I never heard of it before, I hadn't I never heard of anyone having it. I certainly had it. Then, six months later, God turned my thinking around. And instead of me having B double plus double minus, which was me, A plus B double minus, He showed me. I would have no sense of my sin. I would have no sense that Jesus was was my saviour. I would have no sense of the fact there's no other salvation if it wasn't God's gift. That's not a human thing to think. People don't think that just because they're brought up in a Christian home or a Christian country or go to church. Therefore, in a sense, that wretchedness I felt, not that it was good of itself, was actually a sign of God's working in me. To show me my true nature. And it was his work. And not only that, it went back to eternity. God has set me apart from eternity and destined me to be into Christ. And in the fullness of time, had shown me my need of him. That's divine election, predestination. In order that I might be conformed to the image of his son and that I might have new life and that I might be his servant now that's incredible and that's true for each one of us but we may not all realize it some people are actually very resistant to the idea of being chosen in this kind of way they want to hold on to that their faith is their bit that they put in so god can do 99 percent of the jigsaw but that one bit is my faith and repentance and i will put it in let me tell you that's not glorifying to god god needs if that's in your heart god needs to take it away because <laughs> it's all of his grace in the previous chapter by by the grace are you say through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God lest anyone should boast so your faith is a gift of God so don't despise it don't make it B double minus it's God's working he's raised you from the dead spiritually and he's going to raise your body That's what he's saying here. And he says it in the first chapter explicitly, where he says, The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Now, you think about that. If you want to understand this phrase, what God has done in you as a believer, if you believe in Jesus as your savior, is actually the same thing or comparable with what he did in raising Jesus Christ bodily from the dead. Defying everything that people call scientific law. It's not that, of course, it's God's way of doing things. Uh, Reversing the curse, as it were, because his body didn't see decay. Bringing him into a new body, one which we're gonna share. Our commonwealth is in heaven, and from it we await a savior who should transform our our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's the power it's talking about. The power that raises the dead. I had to lay my darling wife in a grave nearly two years ago. Her spirit is perfected in heaven. Her body is decayed, but it will be raised. Like the body of Jesus. And that's true for every believer. And if we're still alive when Christ returns, we'll be transformed. But the bodies of the deceased will be raised first, we read. And then we'll, we'll all be changed into the likeness. That's the power. But that power is available now in prayer. In lots of other ways. But that's the measure of it. That's what you're going to get hold of. Once you get hold of the measure, you can see the meaning of this text. And it says he who can according to that or in line with, rather, in line with, and I see that the commentator I'm going to read from takes exactly the same view, but I didn't get it from him. In line with all that God has done in you, he can do whatever and more. Okay, so that's that's what you've got to get hold of. Hold up and praise the Lord for what he's done in you. And it's by grace. Just glory. Uh, it, to me, when that happened to me, uh, God showed me those things. In March and April of 1967, I, it gave me a, what, something of what Peter meant by the unexpressible, or Paul rather, expressible um. Glory of Christ. Riches of Christ, I mean. Unsearchable. Incredible. But true. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly above that. <laughs> See? In other words, you can do far, far, far more than all the things I've talked about. In your life, and in this town, and in this nation. Now, I took, eventually, William Hendrickson's commentary down. I didn't really think that Hendrickson would be the best person to read for this. But, boy, let me read you what he says. It is Paul's way of making known his firm conviction that although in his prayer he's asked much, God is able to grant far more. So you think you've prayed for a big thing. Well, God's going to do far, far bigger than you think. On this point, the apostle who relished superlatives, the so superlative means, you know, the best of all. <laughs> We're in the Olympic Games at the moment, and we've got to see all the human best. Well, this is God's best, which is infinitely greater. Speaks very strongly. Literally, he says, now to him... That is the God Triune, and the three in one—the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—who is able to do super abundantly above all that we ask or imagine and think and conceive, etc. So, I mean, just get—you know—just get to the point. You can't possibly imagine how much God can do. It, it blows your mind. It's way, way beyond it. Let me adds this, because I mean, we you know we may not be able to cope with all that. In order to appreciate fully what is implied in these words, it should be noted that Paul's reasoning has taken the following steps. A, God is able to do all that we ask him to do. That's the basic thing. Whatever you ask him to do, he can do. Obviously not evil, but then you wouldn't ask him to do an evil thing anyway. He's able to do, able to do everything you ask him in your life for you. provision healing, whatever. He's able to do it. B, he's even able to do all that we dare not ask but merely imagine. Okay? C, he can do more than this. D, far more. (laughs) E, very far more. Moreover, The apostle immediately adds that he's not dealing with abstractions. The omnipotence which God reveals is in answering prayer. It's not a figment of the imagination, but is in line with, there it is, and I thought that already, that mighty operation of his power that is already at work within us. So, I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? There it is. I thought, well, I must read that out to you. So let me read those things again. So Paul is saying this. A, God is able to do all we ask him to do. B, he's even able to do all that we dare not ask, but merely imagine. C, he can do more than this. D, far more. E, very far more. That's the God we're dealing with. That's the God we go into September with. That's the God that we have this new form of our service with. That's the God that we we carry through uh, the rest of our life. Jesus, Savior, Pilate Me. Listen to that song, uh, which I've added to the letter. Listen to those two other songs that were transforming. Down the mountain, the river flows and um, light the fire again. Do you remember driving? When when Johnny was studying at Stevenage College, he would take a course in sociology, sort of crash course. And I was driving down the motorway. Uh, This is about 1997, would it be? I don't know, something like that. Anyway, um, to to pick him up. And I had Brian Dirksen's light the fire again on. And I, I was shouting out, revivals come. Well, actually, in faith it had, but in reality it hadn't. But then Jesus says, whatever for you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have it and it will be yours. I actually believe it's for now. And I'll explain why in the lesson, so I won't go over all that again. But let me tell you, God is able to do it. He was able to do it then, but I think he's choosing to do it now. If we pray to him and ask him so according to that power he's able to do this so well what do you say to him be glory in the church now i always have a little bit of nervousness about this word church because it really isn't a very good translation as you know it means the assembly church literally does mean a building doma is the lord's building it's not a new testament word at all so it's the assembly, the ecclesia, And that's what we are, gathered together, the assembly of God. Um, he is to glory in the assembly of his people, that's us. And all of God's people. In Christ Jesus. In the assembly and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. do you think that includes now? it does doesn't it all this stuff is for now and forever and ever and what else do you say to that but amen